Well, good morning, everyone. It's, uh, it's great to be here. My name is Mike, if we, don't, uh, if we have not met. And uh, our passage for today is Matthew chapter 12. So uh, have your Bibles open. We'll be moving around in that passage for today, Matthew chapter 12. Today's scripture passage is rooted in the Sabbath command that is from Exodus chapter 20. I'll read it very briefly. It says in Exodus 20 verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you uh, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blesses the Sabbath day and makes it holy. Today we're talking about the Sabbath and having Sabbath rest for important work. And we are in a, a, an important time when, okay, track with me on this, thinking through the need for Sabbath, the need for the practice of rest, but also kind of an internal, emotional, soul rest, as well as uh, needing to do the work that God has for us to do. Because when we see the work that God has us doing, or at least the work that God is doing in this passage, it is the work of justice. It's the work of caring for those who are in need. It's the work of of paying attention to the lowly and lifting them up. Uh, so if I remember correctly, which time is, I'm, is just absent for me now that uh, we're staying at home and then social distancing and that sort of thing, uh, if I remember back however long it was ago that the shutdown happened, it was either a year or, or a couple months, um, the, uh, we had a difficult relationship with work because for many people in our congregation, they just suddenly lost their job without much notice. And for some people, their whole vocation has gone away or is not allowed to come back. And then we had kind of this induced rest. But for many of us, because there was so much going on in the world that was difficult, but you can stay up to date with it on social media uh, and on the news every day, every second, if you'd like, there wasn't necessarily a stay-at-home rest, but a stay-at-home restlessness. Um, and then, days ago, we have social unrest that's kind of rising up within our country. And um, we have now come into the forefront a need for a discussion about reconciliation, justice, forgiveness, power. All of these things are kind of like thrown to the forefront. So if we already needed to understand Sabbath, rest from work, and God's heart for justice before, it seems like all three of these things are, are relevant today and are in our passage for the morning. So I'd like to kind of move through it. Today, we're talking, as I said, about Sabbath, kind of three things, Sabbath, rest, and the important work that God has called us to do. The big idea, basically, is that we'll find Sabbath rest and to the extent that we find Sabbath rest in Jesus, we will then have the energy, the empowerment, the gospel witness to then do the important kind of justice work that God has called us to do. So we're going to talk about three things, the need for Sabbath rest, the source of Sabbath rest, and the work of Sabbath rest. The need for Sabbath rest, the source of it, and the work of Sabbath rest. If you look in verses 1 and 2, you'll see um, something about the need for Sabbath rest and Jesus' attitude about the Sabbath. It says at that time Jesus was going through a grain field with his disciples. They ate the grain and then the Pharisees accused them of 
breaking the Sabbath law. They were breaking the Pharisees' law, the halakha, the standards that the Pharisees had created for the Sabbath at, uh, in the day. But the one thing we see in the passage is that Jesus, um, though he challenges the Pharisees, upholds the value of the Sabbath. In fact, he says later in the passage that I am Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. But what we know from Jesus here is that he values, loves, and instills in us a, a value of the Sabbath. He responds in that way. I think sometimes in our experience with religion, we think that the Sabbath is something that we do for God. And I think there's, history is replete with people who have used the Sabbath, the biblical idea that you take a day off from Exodus 20 and that you dedicate that to the Lord. People have used that for years as a religious duty to say, if you are like the, the Navy SEALs of Christianity, the real Christians, the people who really love God and follow God, they take a Sabbath and they're strict on this thing that everyone, especially in our culture today, would admit is a difficult thing to actually observe. And so re religious people would say, this is like the real test. Are you actually an observant follower of God? Then you'll take the Sabbath really seriously. But I'd like to just ask the question, maybe part of what Jesus is saying here is that it's not like the Sabbath is for God, but maybe the Sabbath is from God for us. That God has created something in his creation that is fulfilled in Jesus, that gives us rest and allows us to say, I'm clocking out. I'm taking time off. I'm turning off the social media. My emails, uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm turning off whatever device creates the chime that says, you've got more work to do. So maybe it's not just something from us to God, but something from God for us. And work and rest is more difficult in our time than ever before. I'll throw out a few things from some research I've done this week. One, um, job security, this is needless to say, but job security is an all-time low right now. People have lost their jobs, unemployment is climbing, or at least was climbing for a time and has now gone back. Um, if you have a high-earning job, uh, it demands more of your life. Jo income has gone up for some people, but for the people who have earned a lot of money in the height of their careers, the expectation is that your job owns your life, that your vocation is your life. And if you're not ready to make your vocation your entire life, there's a line of people who are, are ready to make what you make to take your place if you are trying to have boundaries or balance or a Sabbath. Consequently, also, low-income workers are, uh, have a, a job insecurity because they don't earn what they used to make, and so now low-income earners have had to take multiple jobs to make ends meet, especially in Orange County. Technology means that you can work from any place, and so therefore we do work from any place that we can. Social media has programmed the exact kind of chimes and hearts and reactions that keep you scrolling and keep you working and now need you to take whatever vocation you have and put it online and put it on social media so that you, it's hard to escape those things as well. And then, the biggest thing actually, is that, that allows us to never unplug, to never take a Sabbath break, is that our culture has seeped in a belief that commentators call expressive individualism. Expressive individualism is the idea and the kind of cultural belief for the first time in human history that says that you define for yourself what is true and therefore you define your own meaning in life. And actually, the belief of our day that we might even absorb a bit ourselves, even if we're observant kind of Jesus-loving Christians, is that you need to forge your own trail 
and that you'll fully be human and fully realize who you are once you find your specific vocation, your specific way of helping the, the needy, and your specific kind of place in the world or in the universe, in the social causes and in, in our, uh, our, the needs of our day. People say that if you attain to that, if you discover your own meaning in your own life and reality, then you'll be fully human. The result, though, is more work. That's the problem with it, and therefore burnout. Whereas older cultures and even non-Western cultures of our day are more family-oriented, and so where you might belong, uh, it, it might not be as important in some cultures even today that you have a particular vocation or that you're defined by the work and the causes that you pick, but it, you might be more defined by the community that you're a part of. Now, that has positives and negatives, but it's at least different. It's worth observing that, that the things that are normal for us have not been, they're not normal around the world and they've not always been true. But for other people, it's, uh, a job is what you do just to put on the food on the table and you're defined by the role that you play with the people that you love. So what if instead of viewing the Sabbath as a thing that we do to please God, we see it from Jesus' perspective here as Lord of the Sabbath as something that he has created to instill in us human flourishing, and because of our human flourishing, the work that God has called us to do. That's our need for Sabbath. Uh, I do have one more thing I want to mention to you, and that is just a few um, other thoughts on our need for Sabbath. Sleep experts will tell you that it's not just the amount of sleep that you need, speaking of rest, but it's the amount of deep REM sleep that you can get. That's what, that's what helps you feel energized. That, that's what helps you to wake up in the morning and say, man, I actually slept. You, it's not just the amount of sleep, it's the amount of deep sleep that you can get. And we have one more kind of problem with rest, and that's our innate soul level insecurity for our own justification in life. One writer from a New York Times article a few years ago that was quoted in Timothy Keller's book on work, uh, wrote this. Most people mistakenly believe that all you have to do to stop working is to not work. But the inventors of the Sabbath understood that it was a much more complicated undertaking. You can't downshift casually or easily. This is why the Puritan and Jewish Sabbath was, Sabbaths were so exactingly intentional. The rules did not exist to torture the faithful, Interrupting the ceaseless round of striving requires a surprisingly strenuous act of the will, she writes, one that has, has to be bolstered by habits as well as social sanction. When the Sabbath was still sacred, not only did drudgery give way to festivity and family gatherings and occasional worship, and hear this from her quote, but the machinery of self-censorship shut down too, stopping the eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. She's saying, secular author, that there's an eternal kind of inner murmur that says something has to make you justified. Something has to make you right in the world, or at least begs the question, on what grounds do you feel like your life has meaning? On what grounds do you say, can you wake up in the morning and say, I'm justified. I am, I'm right. Even in the midst of my imperfections, I matter, I have meaning, and I have justification. Well, that's the eternal inner murmur. We have it from outside that says, why would you matter? You need to discover your own truth, to discover your own meaning, and find your place in the world for yourself. We have an inner murmur that says, and we all know it's there, what makes you good? 
what makes you good enough? On what grounds do you say I'm lovable and I'm important? She calls it the eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. Sabbath is the habit of stopping and saying, okay, God, remind me on what grounds I'm justified. The point is, we're working too much, partially because we live in Orange County, partially because the housing prices mean that both spouses have to work in a lot of families, partially because we can always work online, partially because if you make a lot of money, you're expected to work a lot, partially because if you don't make a lot of money, you have to take two jobs. There's about 10 or 12 different reasons why we work too much and we don't value the Sabbath, and so we have this issue at hand. But we also have a soul-level thing that is always pushing us and saying, you need to do more. And to some extent, it's true. You could always do better. To some extent, we always have a parent where you show your grade list to that parent and they say, oh, you got straight A's. Oh, there's a B on there. Well, it looks like you could have done better. We have the cosmic disappointment in that grounds. So the point is that we're always on a soul level continuing to work. I need to keep moving. So we'll talk now about the source then. If we have a problem, we'll talk about the source of Sabbath rest. And if you look in verses 3 through 8, Jesus quotes an instance from 1 Samuel 21. It shows David, um, he references David running for his life in 1 Samuel. And he went through the tabernacle into the holy place on, uh, on, during Sabbath worship. That was the, the, the bread that was meant for Sabbath worship and not to be eaten. And David ate it. And God didn't condemn David in that instance. Jesus, by citing this passage, is encouraging us to think critically about the Bible. Sometimes uh, Christians get accused of being overly wooden or kind of overly believing exactly what they're told and that faith in Jesus means that you kind of shut your brain off and just become religious. But here, and a few times actually in this whole chapter, Jesus has nuanced, difficult teaching where he's encouraging you with an open heart towards God, to say, think critically and think biblically. So Jesus cites 1 Samuel 21, he's saying, God didn't punish David on that grounds, and so partially he's making this point. I'll see if I can uh, explain it uh, quickly. He's saying, don't you know that the moral laws from the Old Testament are never challenged by my life? Adultery, uh, uh, murder, idol worshiping. But I am now challenging you from the Old Testament on the temple sacrificial laws and the Sabbath laws. And then Jesus says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus is saying, okay, Pharisees, think biblically here. Think critically here with a, with a, a heart for God's glory, not just for your own rules and religiosity. He's saying, don't you know that God pain, like, painstakingly upholds his justice and his love and his mercy in the moral laws, but that the Sabbath laws and the temple laws will end, in, in a sense, because they point to their fulfillment in me. And then it's no wonder when the Pharisees heard that, that in verse 14, they started or continued to plot to kill Jesus. He's saying, don't think critically and biblically. Isn't it true that all of these things from Jewish history, from the Old Testament, all find their fulfillment in me? Because the Son of Man is Lord of rest is Lord of Sabbath, and is the truer and better temple way for sinful man to connect with God. That's the source of Sabbath rest. Jesus is saying, I am the source of that deep soul rest that you can only find 
from knowing me. Allow me to explain a little bit more and do some application on how we can find our, um, our rest in Jesus. If you, if you look back at Genesis 1, there's this creation narrative. There's this creation account that has some rhythm to it. On day one, God creates. He looks at it and he says that this creation is good. And then on day two, creates and he calls it good. And after six days, this is the creation order that's referenced in Exodus 20, he rests for the seventh day. He looks at it and he says, it's very good, and then he rests. On what grounds? Well, first of all, why would God even need to rest on the seventh day? He's God, after all. There's a larger question about God instilling the Sabbath rhythm of our created order, even in the first chapter of Genesis. But another thing that's, uh, that's evident in the passage is he's able to rest because the work is finished. He's able to rest because the work is finished. So the other day, I um, changed the alternator in my Honda Civic. So my car just barely made it into the garage. It was like the steering wheel was freaking out on me, and the, the, all the lights were going off. It was because my alternator broke. Fortunately, I have a dad who's a mechanic, so I was just able to call dad and go, Dad, text me 10 steps so that I can change an alternator. He did that. I, I, I got it right in the garage, and I was able to change it. You know, I go back into the house where my wife's watching our son, and uh, I've got grease all over my hands, you know, wipes grease on face to look like a man. And uh, you walk in, I, I, I finish the alternate. I tell my wife, I, I, it is finished, you know. And that feeling of accomplishment was like, I diagnosed the problem. I texted dad. But then I bought the parts. I changed, I got greasy, I got dirty, my back hurt a little bit. And I was thinking like, I did it. It is finished. There's a feeling of accomplishment. And that's true. For some of you who just graduated, you know, I'm thinking back on when I graduated from grad school. The last email that I sent in with my last big term paper before I graduated, my hand was shaking. I was thinking, like, I can't believe it. I have to start paying off my student loans. <laughs> but I was also like very excited going, I can't believe I finally did it. And I clicked send on my email. And the feeling of accomplishment that you get, you say, I can finally rest. I can take a break. I can take a breath because I finished school. There's a feeling of accomplishment because inherently you know and you feel it that you can rest because the work is finished. And in Hebrews 4, the writer of Hebrews says that is true of people who have put their faith in Jesus. Hebrews 4, verse 9, says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following examples of disobedience. There remains a type of deep soul level rest because Jesus said it is finished through his death on the cross. We can look at our lives and say, the work of justifying my existence, the work of making me right, making me valuable that I inherently know I have has been done on my behalf through Jesus Christ, through his work on my behalf. It says in Hebrews 4, it's not just, uh, let's take a break from work, but from the technical term, our works, our religious works to appease God, to make ourselves righteous before him. Christ did it on our behalf. So I think we know that there is an eternal inner murmur 
that is God's justice, that is God's rightness, His holiness, that only shines a light onto our own darkness and says, I need to be made right. And final point about our, uh, the source of Sabbath rest, and it's that if there's not a rest in your heart, if there's not an ability to take a breath to say, I'm loved, I can check out, I, I, I'm not made right by my success at work, or I'm not made right by my ability to parent and, and the work of, a, of being a parent. I'm not on a soul level made righteous by what I post online for social justice causes. All good things, not good saviors. You're able to take a break and say, I'm not made right by this. I'm made right through Christ and now motivated to live something different. Secular people burn out because they have to discover that meaning in in their life. Religious people burn out because they know what they have to do but don't always have the life change to support it. And so they burn out because they're constantly focusing on their works instead of what Hebrews is saying, to take the Sabbath rest and enter into it. That's why Jesus can confidently say in Matthew 11, that we read last week, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I mean, for those of you who are stressed out and you're prone towards religiosity and you're prone towards looking for your good works and your, maybe your um, appearance before other people for your justification, and you know that's who you are, think about how good this news is that Jesus says, hey you, take on my yoke. Not the yoke of the Pharisees or religious observance, but my yoke. Take that on me. Let that sit on your shoulders for a bit and see how light it is. See how it changes the kind of work that you will do. And after all, a yoke is a work instrument. If you're an oxen, you put a yoke on, you can pull a plow with it. It's meant to be doing some work. But the yoke is light. There's a freedom to our submission to Christ and the work that we do. So all of this is like a long way to say point one, point two. You need Sabbath. Jesus is the source of that deep soul Sabbath rest. And only until you get those two things can we now move on to the third point, which is God has called us to do something, to change the world with the gospel and the implications of the gospel, to change the world with God's heart, specifically for people in need. But if you do it from a place of religiosity or self-saving identity, you'll burn out. But if we get Sabbath and we get that we find Sabbath rest in Jesus, Now we can look at God's heart for justice and live it out. The work of Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest might surprise you that it's not primarily about therapeutic religiosity so that we feel super centered and everyone who comes to church here is good at Sabbath and so we're like, we're super calm, zen, uh, in the moment, whatever terms you might use for it. Sabbath is about liberation and renewal. Liberation because when you obey the Sabbath, you're saying, I'm taking a day off. And part of that is rooted in Deuteronomy 15, a passage that says, um, any of your people, Hebrew men or women, sell sell themselves, if any of your men sell themselves to you and serve six years, and the seventh year you must let them free. And in verse 15 of Uh, Deuteronomy 15, it says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt 
and the Lord your God redeemed you. This is why I give you this command today. So there's an Old Testament uh, Sabbath renewal that happens. Every seven years, you free your contracted servants, whatever you'd call them. And Jesus is saying, I'm sorry, God is saying to his people, it's because you were enslaved in Egypt. You should understand what a saving, freeing God looks like in this Sabbath rhythm uh, of, of Jubilee. Sabbath is in part about liberation. When you take a Sabbath, when you clock out, and when you dedicate time to the Lord, you're saying, I'm not a slave. I'm not a slave to the expectations of other people. I can set boundaries. I'm not a slave to my work. I'm not a slave to success. I'm not a slave to the belief that if my kids don't turn out right, I am not justified. I'm not a slave to, the, to you. I'm not a slave to the expectations of what a man is like or what a good woman is like. Sabbath is about liberation because we're trusting in God's saving power more than our own ability. And secondly, Sabbath rest is meant to renew the lives of others. And I just want to close with this. Sabbath rest is meant to have a work of helping those in need. And just see it in the passage, and then let's like reflect on God's heart that's revealed here. If you look in our passage in verses 9 and following, he went on from this place into the synagogue, and then the Pharisees, maybe even knowing Jesus' heart for those in need, maybe put somebody with a, 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 a shriveled hand, it says, in front of Jesus, knowing that he loves healing people, but knowing that it's the Sabbath. And they're thinking, we can, we can trap Jesus. We can get him into a theological trap and then quiz him on it. And so they, they maybe have the guy right in front of him. As he, oh, Jesus, hi, good to see you. Oh, interesting, this guy's got a hand that might need some help, Jesus. And then he defeats the argument that the Pharisees bring, and he heals the man. Let's look at it again. In verse 10, a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for, a reason, uh, looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And people are thinking, we got him. We got him. It's the Sabbath. What is he going to do? And Jesus says to them, if any of you has sheep, has a sheep, and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than sheep. Okay, he's speaking in hypotheticals here, and he's saying, wouldn't you, if you lost a sheep, you would get down into the pit, or you would reach down into the pit, and you would grab it. You'd grab it with enough supportive weight to say, I can actually lift this thing out. And, and you would you'd have to arch your back, potentially hurt yourself, maybe fall into the pit yourself. You would reach down into that pit, and you would pull it out. And how much more important are people than sheep. You would grab the sheep, pull them out, and dust them off, clean them back up, introduce them back into the fold. And Jesus is saying, isn't it true that you would always do that, even if it were the Sabbath, because sheep are valuable to you, and I love people. Jesus is saying, my heart is always, just like in line with the God of the Old Testament, uh, I'm always going to be inclined towards the poor. I'm always going to be inclined towards people who are hurting and who are outcasts. And by the end of the passage, you see that they're making Jesus that sheep. They're making Jesus that outcast. And if you fast forward in the story, you see that when Jesus dies on the cross, they killed him because he said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. They killed him as a, a, a slaughtered lamb. And by killing him, they made him Lord of the Sabbath. 
when they killed him for saying, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, they made him Lord of the Sabbath because when he took on our sin, he frees us to live through faith in him. And now we're able to say, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. I look to him for my rest. I'm, I'm justified through his death on the cross. I don't need to ask the question, am I important? Do I have a calling? Do I have a future? Does my life matter? Because they killed him, he became, through his sacrificial death and our freedom found in the gospel, the Lord of the Sabbath. Sabbath rest means renewal. And so, Christians, if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to just love what God loves. This is the third time in this passage that Jesus quotes Micah 6.8 where he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The third dang time. Is Jesus a broken record in this book so far? He finds like three different instances to go, y'all remember Micah. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Which is hyperbole to say, I desire mercy, God's heart is for mercy, more than sacrifice. So application for us, church. I don't know about you, but my non-Christian friends, when I'm all about sharing the gospel, talking people into the gospel, and my non-Christian friends know the ways I bring up the gospel in conversations with people, they know my tricks. I'm sorry to say I have tricks, but like, you know, I'll be like I was in my neighborhood the other day, at the dog park, hanging out with some people, and I will find a way to bring up church so I can go, hey, y'all ever been to church? Uh, ever heard of it? Our church is down the street. You know, like, it's just sometimes shameless tactics. But my my non-Christian friends know. And to some extent, their accusation against me is that when you share the gospel, when you talk to people about sin and about Jesus and about worshiping God, it feels like you're trying to gain some sort of political or social advantage over other people. The accusation is that it feels just like a political campaign. It feels just like you're trying to get more Christians so you guys can own more of this society like a culture war. But when Christians do justice, when Christians live out God's heart for those in need, nobody says a dang thing. They're just happy that we're doing it. Like people will say, and this is my hope for our church, people will say, I don't believe what they believe about X and Y. I don't worship like they worship, but I'm glad they're in our city. And that's my prayer for us. And to some extent, it is obviously true with the work that we're doing. So if you're looking for God's heart, Look at the things that Jesus repeats. I desire mercy. And a quote from Isaiah. Later in the chapter, it says in verse 18, Matthew 12, 18, he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A prophecy of Christ's death. Now look at the result. A bruised reed will not break, he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out until he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Uh, If you're here this morning, uh, for the core of people who are here, or if you're watching online, if you feel like a bruised reed, and you feel like I'm broken and I'm bruised enough that I'm not good to anyone, that's what a bruised reed is, God's not going to break you off. You're of value to him. If you uh, feel like you're so out of energy, you're burnt out, you're feeling like um, the, the wrongs that have d- been done to you or the wrongs that you have committed have made you like a small smoldering light that's about to go out that might not turn into anything because it's just about done, God's not going to snuff you out because he's a God that you can put your hope in. 
Chariots of Fire is the only movie that I can think of that's about the Sabbath. There's not a lot of movies made about the Sabbath, needless to say. And in Chariots of Fire, there's two characters. Basically, the first character, they're both runners. They're both fighting for the gold medal. The first runner is a sprinter, and he says in the movie, in a pivotal turn in the plot, that I have nine seconds to justify my existence, speaking of the speed with which he runs and uh, runs the sprint and, and earns the gold medal. And a second man, a Christian, who's very observant about the Sabbath, uh, finds out that his medal-winning race is on the Sabbath and he refuses to run. And so at some point in the movie, we find out that the sprinter, the first man, won the medal. And the second man, because he observed the Sabbath, did not. The problem was that for the first man, the medal was not enough. And for the second man, he had justification in something else and a fulfillment in something else. And even through failure, even through loss, he was able to find his justification and meaning. And I guess that's my hope for us on a soul level. And then, and then as we have our rest in Jesus, finding our identity in Jesus, now we have, to use a metaphor, gas in the tank to be able to spend on causes that need something from us. God help us. Let's, let's pray to that end.